Good morning, church. And Merry Christmas. You know, it's, it's unusual when Christmas falls on a Sunday and we have the rare privilege of actually celebrating the birth of our Lord and Savior on the very day that we are set aside to recognize His birth. And, and so this is a special occasion. You know, the Christmas story of the Father sending the Son into the world to rescue us is actually composed of a series of stories of different individuals in the Bible who were dramatically affected by the coming of this baby Jesus. And we want to share some of those stories with you over the next few minutes. I want to begin with Mary. Mary, you know, was a young woman engaged to be married. She had her whole life in front of you. I don't know what kind of dream she had, but I'm sure it involved a family and raising children and and, um, and doing it in a town where she knew everybody and with family members that, that knew her and loved her. She was well-respected, well-thought-of. And in the midst of this young woman's life, an angel appears and, and is telling her to rejoice, that God has seen her, God is favoring her, and something amazing is about to happen. And in Luke chapter 1, verses 29 and 30, we read how she initially reacted. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Don't be afraid, Mary. The Bible says she was troubled. That means that she was petrified, terrified. And fear has a definite effect on our ability to know and follow God. And so this is a very critical moment in her life when the Lord is sending a message to her and she's experiencing incredible emotions, powerful emotions of fear. What was she afraid of? Well, we're not told exactly. I, I would think she would have at least been, have been afraid of the supernatural. This was an angel. No one saw an angel in the Bible and said, ho-hum. Uh, she, was, she was petrified at the sight of this angel. I'm sure the fear of the supernatural was part of it. I suspect that as he began to speak to her, there was perhaps a fear of inadequacy. Me? Me? God wants to do something with me? I don't have the talents, the gifts, the resources of other people. And perhaps that was something she experienced. I think there was a fear, a very real fear of criticism. She was a young woman. She was engaged. And imagine telling your fiancé, I'm about to have a baby, and you're not the father. And so the criticism was a very real fear, and it was actually a real cost that would follow her, those whisperings would follow her through the rest of her life. And then I think there was just a fear of change. And we all experience that. When things aren't going the way we expect, and things begin to unfold differently than we expected, and all of our plans get rearranged and turned upside down. I know for some of you, this year has been that way. For the others of us, this coming year, we're going to experience some challenges just like that. It's important to realize that when God comes and begins to do something in our life, the packaging may actually cause us to be disinterested or afraid. 
some years ago when our sons were younger, they, I think they fancied themselves becoming Hollywood film producers. They loved to take my, my video camera and make videos of things, tell stories using videos. And they came to me one year and they wanted their mother and I to get them a, their very own video camera. And, and at first I said, you know, we can't afford that. And in the back of my mind, I'm doing the math. You know, we can't afford that. We can't do that. And so I kept telling them that all the way to Christmas. Anybody did that this year? Amen. You know, it's, it's a great parent technique. I can't afford that. We can't do that. And it increases the element of surprise. We added something to that element of surprise because we took a popcorn tin. Anybody get one of these this year? We took a popcorn tin and we hid the video camera underneath all the popcorn. And so we had that out there. We had their names on it. And they, they proceeded to open everything else. They were interested in everything else, but not the popcorn tin. Finally, I insisted that they open the popcorn. They opened it up. There was popcorn. So, Dad, I said, dig a little deeper. And there was the camera. And they were thrilled. They were excited. I've never seen young boys weep, but they wept over that camera. It was, it was a good moment. It was what we call a home run at Christmas time from a parent's point of view, okay? Fear can cause you and I to miss some of the greatest things that God wants to do in our life. When you become convinced that God wants to do something in your life, don't pay attention to the packaging. It may not look good, it may not look interesting, it may actually appear dark at the beginning. But when God is finished working in your life, doing what he wants to do, something miraculous, something amazing takes place. That is how Mary experienced the coming of the baby Jesus. But what about Joseph? I want you to hear about him next. Joseph, what was he thinking? What was going through his mind? And was he thinking, Man, how, how's the family going to react to this? Or what's the boys down at the carpenter's union going to think about me now? Or what are the Pharisees going to say? I mean, put yourself in his place. What would you think if the woman that you were engaged to came to you and, and, and told you that she was pregnant and both of you knew that it wasn't your child? What would you do in that case? Joseph, the Bible says that Joseph was a man who was righteous in the eyes of God, and he had, he had chosen on his own to, to quietly and respectfully separate himself from Mary. And he didn't want to bring any shame or dishonor upon her or her family. But you and I know that God had other plans, didn't he? Matter of fact, one night in a dream, he sends an angel and the angel explains to him what exactly God is doing through Mary. And in Matthew 1, 24, it says that when he woke up, Joseph uh, did as the angel commanded, and he went and he took Mary home as his wife. Now, <laughs> you think about it. When he made that decision, he sacrificed everything. He sacrificed his reputation. He sacrificed family and friendship and relationships in the community, maybe some of his status in the synagogue. But he sacrificed everything to live in obedience to the Lord. 
as the story rolls on and, and we get further into the story, we find that they ended up in Bethlehem and, and with no place to stay, they, they, they find themselves in just a tumble-down stable, a place where they keep donkeys and cows and goats and sheep. And if you've been around any of those places, you know that's not the cleanest place in the world. Definitely one of the smelliest. And then the night comes, that night, that night when the Son of God takes his first breath of earthly air, and he cries out in the night. Oh, I can't imagine how overwhelmed Joseph must have been when he holds the Son of God, and he literally stares into his face, into those eyes, when he watches those fingers and those toes wiggle. He would have never, though, experienced the joy of holding God's Son had he never been willing to sacrifice everything to live in obedience to God. What about you? What if 2017 brings something that is so overwhelming you, you just don't know what to do with it? Or God calls you to a task that seems daunting and, and difficult. Will you be willing to sacrifice everything to live in obedience to the Lord? Will you join him or reject him? You know, when Joshua was, was born, I, I remember holding him, and Joshua was our own, own, our own miracle story. And uh, hi, Joshua. <laughs> and uh, he was our own miracle story, and that's a story for another time. But I remember dads, and you know what I'm talking about. When you hold that child for the first time, the sensation, the joy that just floods you. And, uh, you know, I, we, have, we have social media nowadays, so we couldn't wait to post pictures. And, you know, uh, my phone became my electronic wallet. Hey, have you seen pictures of Joshua? You know, oh, let me show you this one and this one and this one and this one. And it's basically 100 copies of the same picture taken in, in, in exactly, you know, you just hold the button down, I found out, and it'll take, just keep taking pictures. <laughs> But, Dad, do you remember that, holding your son or holding your daughter, and, and you wanted to tell the world, they're here. Do y'all remember that? Man, I do. And then I thought about Joseph. As he stood in the entryway of that stable, holding the Son of God, being called to the responsibility to raise up this child in the ways of the Lord, and he looked out into the vastness of the skies, into the stars, into the darkness, and he wondered, who can I tell? Who do I get to share the birth with? Let's find out. You know, um, Don had Mary... Mike had Joseph. Um, Dustin is going to be here in a few minutes with the wise men. And I have... Of yes, course. Of course. Wise men, wise. yes. <laughs> and um, I have the task of shepherds. <laughs> and there is a world of difference between wise men and shepherd. I mean, they come from completely different worlds, um, as we see in Scripture. And we know this. This week, I had the opportunity, to, oh man, a beautiful privilege to go and share with some fourth graders um, some stories from my own life. And I chose for my scripture today, um, not that one, 
that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's familiar, you know it, it's the first verse of the 23rd Psalm. But the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And so, <laughs> hundreds of years, generations before the Christ child was born, a shepherd wrote this, these words. A king actually wrote these words. See, there's a world of difference between a shepherd and a king, but he was a shepherd before he was a king. And I shared with the boys and girls that to be a shepherd in that time was to be rejected, and I grew up feeling rejected by even my teachers, and they were astonished at some of the stories I shared, and maybe they were a little bit too thick. But it made the point that by the time I hit the third grade, I had a teacher that shared with me about Jesus in a different way. I grew up in the church, but shared with me about Jesus to a point that brought me to a point of salvation. And then by fourth grade, things changed very differently for me. And I brought two things with me today. I kidded with Mike. I said I had a point in a poem. I really do. I brought this staff because it doesn't have a crook on it like a shepherd's staff, but this belongs to my grandfather before he died, and he'd use it to hike through the woods. And God placed my grandfather in my life to give me an evidence of acceptance. Don't we all want acceptance? At times in our life when we feel rejected, when we feel like an outcast, don't we just deep in our soul want acceptance? That's what the shepherds wanted. They were disregarded. In the fourth grade, I had a teacher. She was an English teacher. We called her Miss D. Her name started with a D. It was Derapaska. So you can see why we would call her Miss D. But what I loved about Miss D is that Miss D understood that I was a little bit rejected from my peer group. But she saw something inside me, and I loved it because she encouraged it. And in the same way that my grandfather would encourage me as his grandson and give me acceptance, Miss D did that as well. And so I thought today, if you don't mind, I might read a poem to you that I'm sharing with my kids this year. And I brought my staff of my grandfather's honor him as well. It goes like this. It's called Raise a Staff. A baby of significance is born in pure innocence in a world filled with kings and illiterates. Such men wielding staffs, tending sheep in the grass, play a role in the story of our past. An angelic invitation sets fire to the situation and the shepherds all drop down in fear as silence is broken Skipping kings to these chosen, they blare without care this announcement. Do you see what I see? Do you hear what I hear? Hiding deep in the fleece, though the sheep are at peace, they raise a staff to protect from what's near. Fear not, they say, fear not, they say. But how can they not when the sky is ablaze? Cowered down in the flock, they stop and they drop, just trying to get a lock on their fear. And now that he's spoken, though the world is still broken, to the shepherds he chooses to say, I bring you good news that will be for all people. A Savior is born on this day. And this word that they heard while tending the herd, now deep down inside, caused something to stir. They jumped to their feet and made haste to the place where they found God's begotten in place. So from a throne to a manger, from heaven's table to a stable, Emmanuel, God with us at last, all shepherds among us, raise a staff.
Was that for Todd or me? <laughs> After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived unexpectedly in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. The story of the wise men would be better called the story of the wise men and the foolish man. Matthew is obviously contrasting these men who come to seek Jesus and fall at his feet to this, this one man who seeks Jesus to destroy him and his kingdom. But I think sometimes King Herod gets a bad rap. Because I think the spirit of King Herod still exists today. In our world, and sometimes in our pews. Did you know that at this time when the wise men came to Jesus, Jesus was not still in the manger, he was two. That's what we find out later on, or around two, later on in Matthew chapter 2. Did you know that two-year-olds have a distinct label that are brought to them? And it's not the fantastic twos. <laughs> and it's not the incredible twos. What is it, church? It's the... Everybody knows it, the terrible twos. I had a terrible two, but he had to get up and leave because he was saying something in Chinese nobody could understand. <laughs> the terrible twos. Can you imagine if this king in Jerusalem decided to come find this poverty-stricken toddler and take his crown off and lay it at his feet and worship him. What on earth would the world say? In the world's eyes, the wise men were nuts. And Herod was the wise man. But in Jesus' eyes, the wise men, which, which let me tell you, Jesus' eyes are the only eyes that matter. Jesus' eyes, the wise men were wise. And King Herod was extremely foolish. I remember when God started calling Beth and I to adopt. Uh, <laughs> I had a wrestling. I wasn't completely comfortable with the idea of adopting a child. And, and my thoughts were... God, what are, what are these people going to think? And these people going to think? And how's the community going to respond? And Jesus said back to me, Dustin, who's king? Who's king? Friends, I want you to know that Jesus did come to bring peace on this earth. But he did not come to randomly bring peace to everybody. Some people were disturbed at his coming. Jesus came to bring peace to those who were willing to kneel at his feet and say, my kingdom is now yours. My throne room is now yours. Jesus came to bring peace through throne room upheaval. Is your throne his or yours? 
It's important. I don't know if God has been calling you to do things that everybody else may not understand. He may not be telling you to adopt a child from another country. And if, he do, if he's not, don't do it. They're crazy. <laughs> if he is, do it. He may be calling you to be a missionary in another country. And, and all your family may not understand it. All your friends may not understand it. The community may not understand it. But who's king? You may have come here to this service because it's Christmas and your family invited you. And you may be saying, I, I know God is speaking to my heart and I need to go trust Him this morning, but man, it's Christmas and I just came to my family. Everybody think that's weird. That's the spirit that was influencing King Herod. Who's king? May we leave here today with all our personal governments on his shoulders. Brother Don. And those are just four stories of millions of stories of individuals who have experienced in some way the birth of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What is your story? In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing, but we're going to have an opportunity to respond to what God has been saying to each of our hearts. If you're a believer this morning, perhaps one of these stories about fear or sacrifice or a story about overcoming a sense of rejection or who's going to be in charge, one of those stories, maybe it spoke to you. That as a Christian, you're dealing with some very difficult things and you're wondering, does God love me and how is God involved in this experience that I'm having in my life? We want you to know today that although there's always a cost when God comes into our life, we see that in each of the individuals that are there because we live in a broken world. And it looks costly. But as we begin to say yes to God, it's always worth it. Always worth it. And so if you are at that point in your life as a Christian, a follower of Christ, and you're wanting to take that step, I want to invite you today, when we stand and we sing, you may just want to bow your head and say, Lord, I heard what you said to me. And I want to respond to you on this Christmas day.